This is former WWE superstar Luke Gallows. Here's your boy Shaq Gaspardi. This is the World Warrior Low Key. This is Charlie Sultan of Ring of Honor. This is Christopher Daniels. And the gospel according to the Fallen Angels says that you are listening to the SNS Radio Network. Hey, yo. Say hello to the bad guy. Scott Hall. Big Daddy Cool Diesel slash Kevin Nash on the SNS Radio Network. Hey, what's up? It's the ODB One Dirty Bit Boom! Hi, uh, this is Booker T, the five-time WCW champion, and you're listening to SNS Radio Network. Hi, gang. This is Mean Gene Okerlund from the WWE. Hey, this is Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle from TNA. And you're listening on the SNS Radio Network. Oh, it's real. It's damn real. The world is listening. And the USA Network is drawing the line on standards and practices as it relates to WWF programming and to Generation X. In the future, we need to be careful of what we do and what we don't do. Again, DX gets in trouble every time we do something gratuitously. Therefore, the following is the standard and practices that DX promises to adhere to. From the hours of 9 to 10 p.m., we will only use the words ass, damn, and hell. We will, however, never use the words or any other sexual or racial slurs. From the 10 p.m., to 11 p.m. hour, we will only use the words ass, damn, hell, and We will, however, never use the words or any other racial or sexual slurs. Now, as it pertains to video, we promise there will be less references. Oh, hey, watch your mouth. We will have less references to our enormous genitalia. And on a final note, even though many of you believe that currently the favorite pastime in the oral office is swallow the leader, I did not, I repeat, I did not sleep with that young intern. As a matter of fact, I was up all night. This is the main event. What you gonna do? It's just a Tyson, Tyson, Tyson. Better is, better was, and the best ever will be. Woo. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. You can call this the new world order of wrestling. Because Stone Cold said so. Oh my God. What I'd like to have right now. Rest in peace, be the man! You gotta beat the man! Are you ready? You think you know me? Oh, you didn't know? Ah, I'll talk-
I'm here to fight. Standing ovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Welcome, fans. Your host, ring announcer Sean Beckerman, is proud to present the show that takes you back in time, bringing you pro wrestling nostalgia featuring classic moments and old school themes. So get ready to go beyond the bell on the SNS Radio Network. This series examines some of the greatest wrestling factions of all time and looks exactly at what made them so successful in the world of sports entertainment. There are many successful singles wrestlers, many successful tag teams. There are, however, very few wrestling factions or stables that truly connect with the fans. Many stables existed during the 1980s and 1990s, but many of, the, many of those have failed. Only a select few could produce a legacy that would stand the test of time, and only this select few can be defined as truly successful in the wider context of wrestling as a whole business. A successful stable can make or break a wrestling company's success. Similarly, an involvement in a successful stable can make or break a wrestler's success. In this series, you'll we'll take a look at the most popular stables of all time and an effort to get to the bottom of what made them so popular and what they did for the wrestlers involved each in, in each and every faction. A great stable, in my eyes, is one who is first over with the wrestling fans. Secondly, it is about a group who takes care of each other and has each other's back. A perfect stable is one in which the world champion, a secondary champ who could easily be the world champion or be groomed, and a tag team. A mouthpiece is always a nice way and it's such such a nice avenue to have as an evil manager. The last part of the criteria of this specific criteria may not apply to all the stables discussed, but the general idea is there. Over the years, the wrestling business has produced some great factions. Some of the greatest wrestlers in the history of this business have been a part of a faction at one point in their careers. Most of the time, they involved heel wrestlers, but because they would be so effective as being bad, the fans ate them up, and they would eventually become faces instead. Typically, a stable would be three to four wrestlers. Two of the members would usually be established wrestlers, and one, of the, one or two would be promising young grapplers that need the rub from the top stars. So, BTB fans, let's take a trip down memory lane and see who were the greatest stables of all time. We'll kick things off with the corporation. The corporation led by WWE Chairman Vincent Kennedy McMahon controlled the WWE for most of the latter part of 1998 and early 1999. McMahon created the group in an effort to quell the advancement of his main rivals, namely Stone Cold Steve Austin, Degeneration X, and Mankind as well. The stable was formed the night after the Survivor Series 1998 in which McMahon and his crew helped The Rock defeat Mankind for the WWE Championship. At its height, the corporation contained Vincent Shane McMahon, The Rock, The Big Boss Man, Ken Shamrock, and Test. Also McMahon's stooges, Sergeant Slaughter, Gerald Briscoe, and Pat Patterson were the auxiliary members. The faction had every major championship in the company at one point or another, with The Rock holding the WWE Championship and Shamrock holding the Intercontinental title. 
and Tag Team Championships, the latter of which he co-held with the Big Boss Man. Once Shane took control of the corporation in 1999 and Vince, Shamrock, Test, and others left the group for various reasons, its stroke began to dwindle. The corporation officially ended when it merged with the Ministry of Darkness to form the Corporate Ministry. This occurred, of course, when Vince revealed himself as the higher power behind the ministry's dastardly deeds. While the corporation didn't have a particular, a, a specific shelf life in particular, it left an indelible mark on the WWE. Obviously, there's a strong need to set both of your candy straight. Sure, the rocks gonna be the one to do it. Mankind, this Sunday, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, the rock plans are making your death wish come true. And how he plans on doing that is dragging your candy down No Euro Boulevard. Hang that right. On Jabroni Drive. Yes! But instead of checking you into the SmackDown Hotel, The Rock figured he'd just bash your living brains in. <laughs> and after bashing your living brains in, when it's all said and done, all the smoke is cleared, the millions. And millions of The Rock's fans are through chanting his name. You'll realize without a shadow of a doubt why The Rock is the great one. Why The Rock is the chosen one. And why The Rock is the best damn WWF champ there ever was. smell what the rock is cooking. Ah, yes! Now as far as for you, Stone Cold Jabroni, Vinnie Mac, the rock says, set his candy straight. Attention, please. Please show some respect, Canada. He's more important than the Prime Minister. You know that, don't you? There's the chant again. Austin, Austin, I hope you heard the anthem when the corporation came out here. Because the anthem that was played for the corporation is entitled, No Chance in Hell. I distinctly remember giving you that precise chance as to whether or not you are going to win the Royal Rumble. I said you had no chance in hell. I distinctly remember hearing the ring announcer say, if memory serves me correctly, the winner of the 1999 Royal Rumble, Mr. Vince McMahon. Yeah! 
to the lock, he was the winner. As far as I'm concerned, it has a real nice ring to it. So nice that I would like to hear it again. I'd like to hear it again this Sunday night as a result of the cage match between you and me. So confident am I that you will hear the ring announcer announce me the winner. I'm going to go you one better, Austin. Uh-oh. You made certain guarantees. I'm going to make you even better guarantees. You see, Austin, I'm going to guarantee you that not one, not one corporate member, not one family member will ever in any way, shape, or form interfere in my match with you in the cage this Sunday. What? Wait a minute now. I know what I'm doing. And I mean this. Patterson, Briscoe, Shamrock, Tess, Shane, Rock, all of you, Kane, China, boss man, if any one of you so much as interfere in the slightest way in my moment of victory, my cage match with Austin, I'll fire every damn one of you. Whoa! And you'll never again ever work for the World Wrestling Federation. He's lost it, King. Now, Austin, I'll guarantee you something else. You better heed my words. Because, Austin, after the cage match is over, and they're trying to scrub it down, they're trying to scrape your guts off of the cage, you're going to remember these words. And that is that after the cage match is over, Austin, the World Wrestling Federation for you will never, ever, ever be the same again. What are you talking about? I don't know, but you can take it to the bank. And as far as tonight is concerned, just one other small item to make sure that we have a guest referee in the match between Austin and Mankind, to make sure we have someone who will be totally impartial. Let me announce now that the guest referee for your match here tonight will be the winner of the 1999 Royal Rumble, Mr. Vince McMahon. Oh my gosh, McMahon, the special guest referee. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you, sir. Chocolate! He's yeah. got a diet He's never gonna lie! 
the Job Squad. Some of the most notable members, Two Cold Scorpio, Al Snow, Blue Meanie, Bob Holly, and Dwayne Gilberg Gill. Just the, well, the Just Over Broke Squad, you could say, were a stable in the WWE from the late 1990s, and their gimmick was that they lost more matches than they ever won. The wrestlers in the stable were basically employed by the WWE to make the other wrestlers look better. To lose in wrestling is called jobbing, and if you lose a lot, you're referred to as a jobber. If you're a jobber, why not start a stable and call them the Job Squad? Although they were not the most popular stable, and even though they they weren't on the cover of any wrestling magazine, they were a fun stable at the time. Their catchphrases included pin me, pay me, and one, two, three, for life, which I found very, very entertaining. We'll take a look at the fabulous Freebirds. Many consider the Freebirds to be the original faction in wrestling. Michael, P.S. Hayes, Buddy Jack Roberts, Terry Bam Bam Gordy mostly raised hell in the southern indie scene before being put on the big stage in WCCW, Fritz Von Erich's promotion based out of Dallas, Texas. Of course, the headliners were the Von Erichs, Carrie, Kevin, and David. But they didn't have that other faction to feud with them. Enter the Freebirds. They found a way to become the most hated team in the territory, and it was easy. Since anyone who decided to fight the, the, the Von Erich or the Von Erich clan in, in its entirety became heat magnets. Their rivalry was so intense and was so bloody as well. It even had the Freebirds beating the Von Erichs for the tag team gold. In doing so, a new invention was created called the Freebird Rule. The free world rule we talked about before on BTB meant that any of the of the three members could be called upon to defend the, the tag team belts at any time. It was clever and innovative for the day, and it still continued to use to this very day in professional wrestling in some way, shape, or another. After WCCW ceased, the Freebirds made their way to the NWA's Jim Crockett promotions. Buddy Jack Roberts and Gordy didn't go with Michael Hayes, though. Gordy ended up in Japan and tagged with Dr. Death Steve Williams, the late Dr. Death, and also wrestled for the Triple Crown in Japan on numerous occasions. So, who was Hayes going to hang with in the NWA? Enter Jimmy Jam Garvin. Originally gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, he decided to team with Hayes to form the second version of the Freebirds. This faction was more tag team based and had moderate success in the early 90s as NWA tag team champions. Their impact was seen for many years to come. It was now cool to have a group of wrestlers team together for for the common good or bad. Their days in world class facing the Von Erichs are legendary. They would routinely fill in the, fill the Dallas Sportatorium and as well as stadiums throughout Texas on top of it. While many suggest the heat these guys could draw was primarily due to the popularity of the Von Erichs, which is unquestionable in their home of the state of Texas. Doing so would completely underestimate how amazing these men were as heels no matter where they wrestled. And truly, the fabulous Freebirds will go down as one of the greatest factions of well, all time. What a week it's been on Maple Leaf Wrestling and the stars of the World Wrestling Federation. And we're not finished yet. I want to bring in the fabulous Freebirds. They come from Bad Street, making their first appearance here in Canada. And gentlemen, I understand you come in here with a fine reputation behind you. Well, we came in here to do business and do what we do well. And that's beat somebody up and get paid. You know, that's what keeps us out of jail, man. They put us in a professional wrestling. Now, to all the good people of Canada, I'd like to introduce my brothers one at a time. Standing beside, behind me, the big brother of them all, Terry Bam Bam Gordy, 
285 pounds of walking, talking, romping, stomping, graveyard destruction. Over here, the oldest brother, Buddy Roberts, 230 pounds of hot stuff, and he don't stop till he gets enough. And looking straight at you, baby, 250 pounds of twisted steel, sex appeal, mama, I'm so doggone bad, I don't stop and you think I'm unreal. Put it all together, 740 pounds of the baddest wrestling machine ever. The hot towns of the city, I run wild, they look pretty, and what it all gets down to, Billy Red Lions, is money. Because that's how you make money. People got titles, we want titles. Plus, we want to come to Canada. Buddy's had a lot of experience in Canada. We want to come party. That's right. Y'all see us on the street. You want to buy us a drink? Buy us a drink. We'll sit down and tell you our life story. Ain't that right, Bam Bam? You got it right. You know, and we're looking forward to all the competition here. And especially, you know, the ones that think they're the nasty ones. The ones that like to get dirty because I'm sure everybody's heard about the Freebirds reputation. We don't mind getting in there getting nasty if somebody wants to get nasty. We don't mind getting in there and getting down and rubbing somebody's face in the mat. <laughs> if that's what it takes, we're just here to keep, kick people's butts. And I got something to say here. Come on, Savar. Mesomies the Canada. You see, I know how to speak a little bit of French because I started wrestling in Canada. And I, you know, we were going to come here a couple of years ago, but we were just holding back till we got ourselves in 100% fighting shape. And we don't care if it's single matches, four-man tag team matches, or six-man tag team matches. We excel in every single one of them because we are wanting to give the people the best in professional wrestling day. So don't forget the word Freebird is here to stay. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The fabulous Freebird from Bad Street. To the modern day era, the Nexus. The first incarnation of the Nexus. Let's be more specific. Author of one of the most shocking wrestling angles in recent memory. The Nexus burst onto the scene on June 7, 2010 on the an edition of Monday Night Raw. The group comprised of contestants from the inaugural season of NXT and they made a huge splash by, splash by severely beating John Cena, CM Punk, Luke Gallows, Jerry Lawler, Matt Stryker, and Justin Roberts, my best buddy, and other ringside personnel following a match between Cena and Punk. The brunt of the Nexus's focus seemed to be on Cena. However, as they attempted to make a, uh, a statement... They beat, it up, they beat up on everybody around ringside. The original version of the Nexus was led by Wade Barrett and also consisted of David Otunga, Justin Gabriel, Heath Slater, Daniel Bryan, Darren Young, Michael Tarver, and Skip, Shelf, Skip Sheffield. Despite the fact that the Nexus would remain fairly dominant and were a top stable for months, it was dealt a huge blow right away as Daniel Bryan was fired for his actions in the initial melee. And their debut, Brian choked Roberts with his tie and spat in Cena's face. This was deemed by the WWE to be too extreme in accordance with its PG content and rating. The Nexus proceeded to take out many WWE superstars and legends in the coming weeks, including the hitman Bret Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Edge, Chris Jericho, and even the chairman himself, Vincent McMahon. The group began to grow thinner still. However, though, as young was excommunicated from the faction, and both Michael Tarver and Skip Sheffield suffered injuries, this made the Nexus seem weakened. The death blow for the stable occurred when John Cena was forced to join the Nexus per a, a stipulation in a match. Cena essentially destroyed the group from the inside and eventually gained his freedom. The original Nexus disbanded when CM Punk took control of the group and kicked out Barrett. 
This left the Nexus as Punk, Otunga, NXT Season 2 rookies Michael McGillicuddy, Joe Henning, and Husky Harris. The new Nexus has failed to make the same impact as its predecessor, and it did not seem to... Well, it seemed to be a lame duck with Punk's contract set to expire coming up as this big feud. Uh, Regardless, the Nexus was undoubtedly the dominant force in the WWE throughout the summer of 2010. And I believe if it was still booked properly after their debut, it could still be thriving. and could have been like a a new version, uh, a modern-day version of the New World Order. Truly a blown angle, but this... The initial impact Nexus made will still be talked about to this very day and in the future in the annals of professional wrestling. The Nation of Domination. It was founded by Farouk in 1996 as a militant group of sorts, you could say, that consisted of minority wrestlers and more specifically African-American wrestlers. Farouk's main accessories were when the stable first formed, it had different it had varied wrestlers that needed to re- be repackaged, remodeled, and needed that new edge. So the first members of this group were Savio Vega, Crush, and D'Lo Brown. Farouk eventually kicked out Vega and Crush, leaving him just with D'Lo. Kama Mustafa, Papa Shango, and most most recently the Godfather, and Ahmed Johnson joined the group in subsequent weeks, although Johnson soon left due to injury. The Rock, Mark Henry, and Owen Hart all joined the nation in the following months as well. The nation went on to feud with other factions, namely Los Bariquas, the Disciples of Apocalypse, which were Vegas and Crush's answers to the nation, respectively. The Rock eventually won the Intercontinental Championship and gained control of the stable, excommunicating Farouk in the process. This led to a massive feud between the nation and DX, with The Rock and Triple H battling it out for the Intercontinental Championship. See WrestleMania, or excuse me, see SummerSlam, uh, the latter match between the two, which was a great contest, which we'll talk about in a future Beyond the Bell, which I'll get to later on. The nation began to disintegrate. However, when The Rock became a fan favorite, it really took a toll on the on the group as all the attention started to divert solely to The Rock. This caused both Henry and Brown to assault The Rock, thus bringing the nation to an official end in 1998. Other than The Rock, the nation of domination didn't feature a lot of individual success, but it was certainly the most hated stable of its time in the WWE. It was so innovative, Innovative, so edgy at that at its time, and I don't think it can be duplicated to this day, especially with the PG content that the WWE has. So the, the nation will forever be remembered as one of the most dominant and forceful stables of all time. Thanks a lot, JR. Yes, WrestleMania 14 will be the bomb, but like you said, we are moments away from the War of Attrition match. And gentlemen, on paper, you are obviously a favorite. You guys have teamed up many times. The same cannot be said about your opponents, but in recent weeks, we have seen some dissension in the nation. One has to wonder, will we see a disintegration in the nation tonight? And I guess the best way to find out is to ask the leader of the nation of domination. Well, it's a good thing, Doc, that you asked the rock. You're just begging me to whoop your ass, ain't you? Now, you know what? Now, I don't know who you've been talking to, but it's obvious that you had not talked to me. I'll pull a rank around here, and everybody better remember that. When I say fall in, that's exactly what I mean. Now, I'm going to show you tonight when I say fall in, I'm going to make Ken Shamrock, DOA, Ahmed Johnson, and everybody else fall in right behind me. 
Well, speaking about falling in, you guys have had your fallouts with the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. I think it started at Survivor Series, went through the Royal Rumble. But I think the most heinous act that you guys have perpetrated on Ken Shamrock happened last week on Raw is War. Take a look. Now, Rock, look at the velocity you... Man, oh! Now, you know, I'm sure I don't have to remind you, but you know, he is the world's most dangerous man. Listen, man, let me tell you something. The most dangerous man? I've lived in some of the most dangerous neighborhoods. Do you think that means anything to me? No, I've got another story for you. We're going to go out here and show you exactly what we stand for. When I say kick anybody's ass, I mean by any means necessary. Tonight. Evolution was a heel stable that was founded in 2003 and consisted of the game Triple H, Nature Boy Ric Flair, Legend Killer Randy Orton, and the Animal Batista. The stable's gimmick was that it contained the best wrestlers of the past, Ric Flair, the present Triple H, and the future Orton and Batista. The gro- the, this group took the WWE by storm as it held every major title by late 2003. Over the entire course of evolution, Triple H always either held or was in hot pursuit of the World Heavyweight Championship, thanks in large part to his evolution companions interfering on his behalf. This was the modern-day horseman. Things began to go sour for evolution following Triple H losing the title to Chris Benoit at WrestleMania 20. Triple H made Eugene an honorary member of evolution in order to help him regain the title. He ended up costing Triple H in his rematch with Benoit instead. Orton eventually became the number one contender for the world title and beat Benoit at SummerSlam. Rather than congratulate Orton, he was kicked out of the group due to Triple H's jealousy. Triple H would regain the title, but after Batista won the Royal Rumble, he turned on Evolution and decided to go after Triple H's World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania 21. This left well, basically just left Triple H and Flair as members of the faction. At long last, Triple H turned on Flair, officially ending Evolution in October 2005. Very few stables in the history of wrestling can match Evolution's longevity and championship success. I was so excited to see this group form together because I was dying to see... uh, uh, regeneration and re- reformation of the Four Horsemen. I wanted the Four Horsemen to come back in WWE, uh, in WWE form, and I wanted them to bring them back and use the name Horsemen and to re- rebuild the group with new stars. But I like the term Evolution. I like the way they built the Horsemen. They didn't want to duplicate the Horsemen. They wanted to make it more modern and revolutionize the concept, which they did successfully. And it made two top stars, currently Randy Orton top of his game on SmackDown and Batista who left at the height and the peak of his career I I believe he was performing his best work ever when he left as a heel so this group was able to build two stars and rebuild or still carry the legacy of the nature of Ric Flair and still hold the legacy of Triple H intact as world champion I will forever compare any top stable to not only the Four Horsemen but Evolution as well and I still wish we could see some form of evolution or the horseman to this very day in professional wrestling. I, you could look back and say fortune possibly can relate to evolution. Okay, but at the same time, booking has truly affected the group. When, the, when fortune finally came together, I liked the initial concept led by Ric Flair. But with all the twists and turns and the storyline changes and how overbooked TNA could be... I truly believe they missed the boat with making another Four Horsemen faction, even though I like the name Fortune. I like the play on words. I like the whole concept. But 
they, I think they missed the boat with how effective that group could be. So Evolution will go down, go down forever in the book of professional wrestling as one of the most innovative and revolutionary stables of all time. And I still would like to see Evolution continue to this very day. Today marks the beginning of a new era. You see, in this industry, just like in life, everything evolves. And what you see in this ring before you is the greatest example of evolution you will ever see. Rick Flair. 16 times heavyweight champion of the world. The nature boy. The greatest professional wrestler of all time. A living legend. Woo! Rick Flair has done it all and has beaten them all and done it with a class and a style like no one else. Take it from me, there is no one better than Ric Flair. I agree with that, King. Like it or not. And all of the things that Ric Flair represents, I am today. That's debatable. I have taken all of those attributes and I have put them into the ultimate package. I have put them into a body that every man out there wishes he had and every single one of you women out there wants to be with. Yeah, you can argue with that there. You top that off with a mind made for this business and you get the greatest ring general of all time. You get the best that there is. You get the game. You get the world's Heavyweight champion. He's a serving assassin, all right, folks. Trust me. Trust me when I tell you that there is only one diamond in this business. <laughs> and baby, you're looking at him. Wow. Gemstone. But evolution always continues, and you have to look to the future. And I look to you, Dave Batista, six foot five, three hundred and twenty-five pounds of genetic stopping power, unbridled destruction. In a war, when all seems lost, you take out your biggest gun and you blow them all away. Tisa can do that. I can tell you that. He's a monster. And Randy Orton. The business is in his blood. Third generation superstar. The man has every gift that a man can be given. He's right. Raw. Raw. Genetic talent. Randy Orton is the diamond. Randy Orton is the coal that will be squeezed into the next diamond. You see, in life, everything happens for a reason. 
It's just a natural process of evolution. You see, and if you don't have what it takes, then evolution will leave you behind. So if you wake up one day and you're lying in a hospital bed and you're all beat up and you're wondering to yourself, what in the hell happened? Then there's just one answer for you. Evolution has just passed you by. The Heart Foundation. Although the Hart Foundation refers in part to the tag team of Brett the Hitman Hart and Jim the Anvil Knight Hart, managed by Mouth of the South Jimmy Hart, this entry will focus on the reincarnation of the Hart Foundation, which was formed in the WWE in 1997. The Attitude Era version of the Hart Foundation consisted of Bret Hart, Jim Knight Hart, Owen Hart, the British Bulldog, and the late Brian Pillman. The foundation was a heel faction which was anti-American and pro-Canadian. This resulted in many epic feuds including one against the Union, which consisted of a group of American wrestlers working as faces, Big Show, Test, just to name a few, were part of the group. Very very short-lived. Despite the fact the Hart Foundation was uh, universally hated in America, its members were revered as heroes when WWE events took place in Canada. The group was also incredibly successful as it held every major title at one time or another. The Hart Foundation disbanded in late 1997, partly due to the fact that Brian Pillman died due to a heart condition. Brett, Jim the Anvil Nightheart, and the Bulldog all made their final WWE appearances for the time being at Survivor Series 1997. Hart was involved in the infamous Montreal Screwjob, which we talked in, you could say, a nauseam here already on Beyond the Bell, in which Vince McMahon ordered the match to end with Shawn Michaels put Hart in the sharpshooter. This was due to the fact that McMahon, you could say, was afraid that Hart would take the, the championship with him to WCW since his contract was up. Nightheart and Bulldog were so disgusted by the act, they left for WCW as well, officially ending the Hart Foundation in the process. And it just boggles my mind why WCW didn't carry the Hart Foundation over in in WCW. They couldn't call the Hart Foundation, but you still had that hot angle, hot feud coming off of the Montreal Screwjob. Sure, you could say it was was real, but you still could have played off of that that feud, carried the nation, uh, carry, excuse me, the foundation over to feud with the NWO. So right away, you could have had WWF versus the NWO. In reality, you could have had the Hart Foundation take on the New World Order. Maybe you could call them the, the foundation. You know, you, At the time, you could have did the Hart Dynasty because it wasn't trademarked at the time. You know, Just in general, it could be the Hitmen or whatever, Calgary Hitmen. You could have changed the name, kept the, the legacy and the, the mystique of the Hart Foundation with them, and have them feud with the NWO. It was a perfect storyline for them, but they pulled Brett away from, from the Bulldog and the Anvil. Owen stayed in the WWF. We all know what happened with him. And we look forward to what what the situation was down the line with the NWL with Hart joining totally missed the boat with the, with this with this faction to be carried over into WCW. I enjoyed the Hart Foundation. I enjoyed Pillman being added as the wild card. I, I'll never forget Calgary Stampede with how loud the crowd was when they cheered each and every member of the Hart Foundation. It was I had goosebumps feeling that outside the country to see how such an impact that they had and how big of stars they were outside the U.S. and how hate they were inside the U.S. Such a great uh, g- great group. 
a great storyline, so diverse, so different for its time. And it, I believe the Hart Foundation, that that formula of a group should be saved and, and remembered and used for the future in this wrestling business. Because the Hart Foundation definitely had an imprint on, of how a stable should be and how successful a faction could be in this industry. Well, Alberta, where I come from, is once again rat-free. But you can't say the same thing right down here, right here in San Antonio. It's filled with rats. And I tell you, most of the rats are back there and they're hiding. Because they know that the Heart Foundation is a force that will be reckoned with. It's in my contract. It's all written in there nice and pretty. Gorilla Monsoon has decided to take me at my word, which is fine, that if I lose the World Wrestling Federation title match with The Undertaker in the SummerSlam... Now, let me correct you. What you said was not that. You said that if you don't win the World Wrestling Federation Championship at SummerSlam, you'll never again wrestle on American soil. That's what you said. That's exactly what he said. And that's what's in the contract. And as you just aptly put, that is now in your contract, is it not? It is in my contract. And that is fine with me, because there's one thing we Canadians pride ourselves on. We will always do our best and we will always keep our promises. And after the SummerSlam, The Undertaker is going to be spiraling down, free-falling like a dead star because you'll be looking at the fifth-time World Wrestling Federation Champion right here. Final speaking of, of titles, of course, you, Owen Hart, you unfortunately have the distinction of facing the toughest SOB in the WWF, Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, I can really give a damn whether it's Stone Cold Steve Austin or anybody else, because the bottom line is, Bulldog and myself, tonight, will regain the WWF tag team belts that we should never have lost. And as for you, Austin... At SummerSlam, you better pucker up, son, and get your blistex ready, because at SummerSlam, you're gonna kiss my ass. Hey, 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 hey. Again, that was a promise that I must say, being fair, Gorilla Monsoon does have in that contract as well. Austin will have to be a man of his word if he loses the match. To Owen Hart, he'll kiss his derriere. Now, what about you, British Bulldog? You meeting the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock, for the European goal. Let me get it straight, McMahon. He's the self-proclaimed world's most dangerous man. I'm the strongest man in the World Wrestling Federation. But if I was to lose my European title at SummerSlam, the British Bulldog will eat a can of dog food immediately after the match. And, uh, 
and you, Brian Pillman, you already stated what you would do if you lost the match to Goldust. What's the matter? Dusty, I know you're watching. I love you. Not really. I just like your style. Years and years of abuse and neglect on your little boy, Dustin, while you fed your massive ego and your tight face on top of it. George, your little son, and the most celebrated drag queen of the century. And Dustin, I know your daddy broke your heart. Come SummerSlam, I'm going to rip it out of your chest. And if I don't, the next night on Raw, I'll wrestle you wearing a dress. And it might as well be one of Marlena's. And I can promise you, if I'm going to do that, that won't be the only thing of hers I'll be getting into. Well, in any event, uh, Jim, the end will night hard. That leaves you, of course, always on guard with the entire Heart Foundation. You know, if any of the hearts lose at SummerSlam, I will shave my goatee off the next night at Raw. Uh, I would suggest. I would suggest that it seems to me that the most of the Heart Foundation members are quite confident about SummerSlam. What you're talking about is commitment. You know something? The Canadian women are prettier. Our money's prettier. Our sports are tougher. And our men are tougher. Our beer tastes better. And whether you Americans like it or not, it's gonna be a Canadian summer. We'll carry over to the Million Dollar Corporation. Long before Vince McMahon started playing the villainous billionaire, there was a man who played it even better as a millionaire. That was the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. DiBiase was a great wrestler, but he was an even better manager later in his career. Since he was no longer wrestling, he decided to form his own corporation within the WWF. He assembled some of the better heels and even faces to be a part of his group by purchasing them. So unique. He also can lay claim to being the man who launched the WWF career of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Although, at the time, he was given the, ring ma- the ringmaster gimmick. And you could say the also... Or the million dollar, the MDM million dollar man in specific, more specifically, helped develop the Undertaker, as he was the initial manager for the Undertaker. Then passed him over to Brother Love, then to Paul Bearer. So the million dollar man had his control initially of two of the biggest stars in professional wrestling, and he was one of the very few wrestlers that was able to transition so seamlessly into the managerial role. From being an active wrestler to a manager, he was made such an impact. The corporation made such an impact. Uh, nickel and dime, Volkov, Nikolai Volkov reinvented his career in the modern day in WWF in the mid '90s by joining the corporation. He had Sid apart, Bam Bam Bigelow, the one, two, three kid turned heel to join the corporation. It was so diverse, and it was able to bring different types of superstars together to give them that new rub and give them that push. So the Million Dollar Corporation will forever be known as one of the great stables of all time. I truly feel that you can actually reinvent the Million Dollar Corporation with Ted DiBiase Jr. You know, you have Cody Rhodes there. Cody Rhodes is, being, is, is 
doing very well and is very successful in his own right with his with his gimmick. But I believe you could reinvent the corporation because I still feel that even though you have the core disband, the new, the new nexus is non-existent. Factions are really non-existent in pro wrestling right now and have been done successfully since I truly believe since Evolution and the one night with the Nexus debuting. So I believe you could reinvent the Million Dollar Corporation with Ted DiBiase Jr., bring him up, have him build a stable, and have them reinvent or bring up new superstars to to combine the group and bring them back together. And maybe you could bring back Ted Sr. to be the manager of the group. Just a thought. But the Million Dollar Corporation is one of the greatest factions of all time. We're back, ladies and gentlemen, with Jerry the King Lawler and his King's Court. It is indeed a pleasure to have you all as guests on the King's Court. Once again, I want you all to make welcome the CEO of the Million Dollar Corporation, Mr. Ted DiBiase. And Ted, not only... Hey! Oh, look at the Burger King hat. Not only are you going to be the richest man at the Royal Rumble, but you're also going to be the busiest, aren't you? That's right, King, and you said it right. I'm the CEO of the corporation, and for all you mongoloids out there that don't understand corporate terms, that means I'm the chief executive officer. And this Sunday at the Royal Rumble is going to be the night of the corporation. It's going to be night, the night of the Million Dollar Man. Because you see, King, the celebration is going to start at the beginning and it's going to go all the way through. We're going to start off with you, Undertaker. You see, you've been a thorn in my side for a very long, long time. And my corporate accountant, IRS, Erwin R. Scheister, is going to send you back where you came from, six feet under. He's going to bury you, Undertaker. And then you will be gone. I will have rid you of the corporation and the WWF. You see, Undertaker, the only thing dead that I like are dead presidents, and I've invested a lot of them to see to it that you are no longer around. <laughs> what a matchup that's going to be. And if that's not enough, King, yeah. then we go on. We go on to the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Title Match. Oh, yeah. That's where my million-dollar team, Bam Bam Bigelow and Tatanka, will face... <laughs> Give me a break. Bob Spark Plug Holly. Hit the wall, Holly. <laughs> That's right. And the one, two, three, punk. Oh, the 911 kid. It's a shoe in, King. It's a shoe in because he sees it's like this. Oh, you two punks have a lot of potential. But when you leave the ring next Sunday at the Royal Rumble, that's all you're going to leave with is potential. Because if you think that that wall that you hit in the last race you were in was a wall, Holly. You better think again, because you're fixing to hit the wall of Tatanka and Bam Bam Bigelow, the next World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions, and it's back to the pits for you guys. And then if that's not enough, there's more? The very next night, King, the very next night, that's one week from tonight, on Monday Night Raw, my new champions will defend their titles to show the whole world that we are fighting champions against who? Who? <laughs> the smoking guns. That's big of them. The smoking guns. This is what I have for you. You may not know about this place, but so you get an idea of what it's going to be like facing my team, go talk to The Undertaker about a place called Boot Hill. <laughs> now, tell me about the Royal Rumble. 
The last but not least, it is the Royal Rumble. And the odds on favorite, as he well should be, my King of Beasts, King Kong Bundy, will win so. the Royal Rumble. What a monster. And of course, next Sunday, the prize is obviously the winner's stake, the winner's money. But that's not the grand prize, oh no. The grand prize comes at WrestleMania 11. And the grand prize is not going to be the fact that the beautiful Pamela Anderson will escort Mr. Bunny to ringside. No. The grand prize is when King Kong Bundy walks out of the ring, the new World Wrestling Federation champion. And then King, the corporation, will have it all. We'll have the World Wrestling Federation title. We'll have the World Wrestling Federation tag team titles. There'll never be no more Undertaker in the World Wrestling Federation. That's right. The celebration will go on and on. You might say that the corporation is alive in 95. <laughs> All right! Big plans on the part of Ted DiBiase. They will be well represented. They may come out of the Royal Rumble with a lot of things, but it won't be the winner of the Royal Rumble. That spot belongs to the Heartbreak Kid. Raven's Nest slash Raven's Flock. Raven's Nest was created with some with the sole purpose of making Raven's ECW opponents, Tommy Dreamer, the Sandman, both of their lives miserable. The group made sure the belt stayed with Raven, the sole purpose. It gave them a purpose. They were the lackeys of Raven, and the main goal was to keep the title on their leader. The group also held the tag titles for a time. Raven had many henchmen and sidekicks. Some of the names were Cactus Jack, the Dudleys, and the main whipping boy, Stevie Richards. Who could ever forget or forgive Raven for turning the Sandman's own son against the Sandman? The later incarnation, the flock in WCW, did not have the same appeal and vileness as the original ECW's Raven's Nest, but it still made an impact on the company. Van Hammer joined. We saw Kidman turn from the, the very vanilla or very plain uh, cruiserweight into that, that dark character. So we saw Kidman... Perry Saturn came over for EC, from ECW to WCW. Uh, you know, you saw many many different other superstars come in. Sick Boy come in and out. You saw Lodi made uh, presence in, in the flock with his sides. So I, I thought it was unique for the time. What I liked about WCW during that era is that they had different factions, different groups, and they all were diverse until they brought the NWO Black and White, NWO Wolfpack, Hollywood Wolfpack, all the LWO until they diluted the NWO in that manner. But the other factions were so diverse, so different, and I thought Raven's group was so different by sitting in the stands watching the the superstars compete on Nitro. Just it was a different concept. I found it to be extremely effective. So the Raven's flock slash nest is one of the more unique factions of all time. Of fate have blown once more. And I reign supreme as the United States champion. Wednesday night on MTV, Diamond Dallas Page was an invited guest among superstars like Matthew McWannabe and the Food Fighters, a spot that should have been mine. I should have been invited, Page, not you. So I had a reign on your parade. Oh, and I took that stop sign to your head and I beat you unmercifully. Then I DDT'd you through a table and through my belt. Diamond Dallas Page, this is just the beginning. 
the beginning of a long and horrible and excruciatingly painful reminder of what I went through. How you deserted me. The snake knows it. I know it. Everyone knows it. You're a shameless self-promoter. You're a shameless shill. And I stole your moment of glory in your biggest and finest hour as U.S. champion on MTV. I took it all away from you. <laughs> I took it all away from you, Paige. <laughs> tonight, tonight, you'll face members of my flock. I don't need to be there, Paige. I can already guess the outcome. And it doesn't look good. Saturn and Hammer. Quote the Raven. Nevermore. The Varn Erics. Very short. This may be the first of the controversial decisions to add the Von Erics to the list of the stables. Were they really a stable, you could say? Answers could go either way, but what, what is a stable is a group together with a sole purpose and unit. Well, but a family who is out to watch each other's back, what is a better to, to represent a feud or, or excuse, excuse me, a faction or a stable than to have a, a family that's combined and, and together as one and they were known as the first family of Texas, so why wouldn't they be known as a stable or, or a faction? So the Von Erichs were the kings of Texas and were able to leave such a mark on Texas wrestling and WCCW. They basically had a an organization on their back. They held an organization and carried them through such major heights at one point with the feuds with, with the Freebirds. So you could say the Von Erichs can go down as one of the greatest stables of all time because they were a family. They were a unit. One of my favorites, the Heenan family. The Heenan family was a heel stable of wrestlers managed by Bobby the Brain Heenan. The stable was originally formed in the AWA in 1969, and it continued to the WWE when Heenan made the jump in 84. It lasted until 1991, which is extraordinary. Heenan managed a wide array of stars during his time in WWE, which included, but not limited, to Andre the Giant, Ravishing Recruit, Mr. Perfect, Big John Studd, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Heenan managed wrestlers that held every major title the WWE had to offer. Over the course of Heenan's managerial career and its entirety, his crowning moment as a WWE manager was likely when Andre won the WWE title from Hulk Hogan on Saturday, night, Saturday night's main event. This was short-lived, though, as Andre then sold the title to the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. But if you speak with Bobby Heenan to this day, he'll say one of the greatest moments outside of that specific title win for Andre was the Pontiac Silverdome. The, the gimmick number of 93,000 fans coming out with Andre, seeing the crowd. I, Bobby Heenan made claim on many DVDs that what was going through his mind was not the people inside the arena, but the people watching at home on television. That was the height, you could say, of the Heenan family. The transaction was ruled illegal by President Jack Tunney when Andre sold the title to the Million Dollar Man and the title was vacated as a result. Also, while not technically a part of the Heenan family, Ric Flair won the WWE Championship twice under the, the tutelage of Heenan. The Heenan family was un, unlike what we could consider a stable today in that its members didn't really work 
as a unit. Their only real connection was that the fact that they were all managed by Heenan. Many of them did have common goals, however, such as destruction of Hulkamania and winning championships, while the Heenan family can't compete with most other stables in terms of what it accomplishes as a group. It featured a collection of individual talent that perhaps no faction ever has, or even had. The only time you could say they worked together was maybe at a Survivor Series, when they had to compete in the traditional Survivor Series matches. So you could look at it in that aspect that they worked together as a unit, but really they just were under the tutelage of Bobby Heenan as you could say their agent slash manager, similar to a la what Paul Heyman did down the line on SmackDown in two thousand in the two thousands. So Bobby Heenan had a faction, but they weren't really working with each other rather than they were all working for Heenan. But they all worked so well individually and the collection of stars he had were tremendous, you know. And seeing, I remember when they sold Hercules over, which was <laughs> such a, a great moment, and in turn turning the mighty Hercules babyface. You know, seeing the barbarian come in and out of the Heenan family. Uh, King Haku was was a big coup <laughs> for Bobby Heenan. So the Heenan family definitely made its mark in a unique way as one of the greatest factions of all time. Well, things have already gotten out of hand on the floor back here. The Heenan family getting ready for the Royal Rumble. Bobby Heenan, you have the tag team champions, Andre the Giant and Haku, former Intercontinental Champion, ravishing Rick Rude. But this is one event, you must admit, every man for himself. No, no, you got it wrong, Mooney. It's not every man for himself. It's every family for himself. No, no wait, Rick Rude, what number did you draw? That's none of your business, Mooney. Well, concern well, yourself well, with am I you... to assume that everybody has their numbers close enough so they everybody can work as a unit? Everybody is happy with their numbers. Let's put it this way. He's very happy with his. Andre's happy with his. We have all everything planned. Everything's mapped out. Everything's going to go fine Rick, Rick for the Rude, family. Rick Rude, uh, it could come down to you being one of the last men in the ring. That other man could be Haku. Now, you want to win the Royal Rumble, right? Well, if that's what it boils down to, I'm going to do whatever no, it takes no, to win. No, you hear that? Haku, he says... Well, that is that supposed to be like that? That's the Royal Rumble rule. What if that other man were, say, Andre the Giant? Now, Andre, you could go up against Haku if you could be the last one. I don't want anything up. I think I detect some dissension. It seems the Heenan family has started their own rumble right here. Let's get back. The Dangerous Alliance. Paul E. Dangerously, better known as Paul Heyman, was a great, great wrestling mind. He was a terrific manager and a great booker. He didn't have business sense, but you, can, you can't dispute his acumen in the wrestling world and his mind for the business. He was successful at everything he did in the ring. His faction known as the Dangerous Alliance is an example of that, a perfect example. Now, he's had versions of this before in the old ECW and WCW, WCCW, but... I'm going to go with his crew in WCW in a time where WCW was down without Ric Flair. This crew managed to keep some of the crowds they lost when that took place. Take a look at, for instance, when Paulie grabbed the mic. You wanted to listen because he still had that shoot type of personality to him where you believed in his stars that they were going to beat the champion. Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, Larry Zabisco, Stunning Steve Austin, Rick Rude, all in the same group. Yes, I am not kidding. Stars he had under the alliance. You have two tag team specialists, a great ring technician, a great up-and-comer, and a charismatic champion in one group. Very underrated. When your weak link is Bobby Eaton, you're a dangerous faction. And this is exactly what 
this faction was, a dangerous faction. Not to mention, they had Medusa, who was smoking hot during this time. Steve Austin was just finding his niche in wrestling, and still was considered elite in WCW. If they only knew what they had with Austin. Man, it's amazing how even with Ric Flair gone, WCW still managed to keep a firm grip on their audience by having these guys feud with Sting, Luger, Pillman, Dustin Rhodes, and Barry Windham. Their War Games match was epic. It was great and brutal. I think Paul Heyman doesn't get enough recognition that he really should deserve for his work in wrestling, especially with as a talent and as a manager of this group. He was great, and his team was great and dangerous. This was one of the first times I noticed Steve Austin, and there was just something about him. I saw him competing for the United States title, and I, I remember turning to my dad and just saying, there's something different about this guy. This guy is good. I couldn't put my finger on it. I said, this guy is really, really good. And it turned out he was not good. He was stone cold. So the Dangerous Alliance, with that crew, that roster of stars, will go down as one of the greats and one of the most underrated stables of all time. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TBS. Back on World Championship Wrestling from the center stage in Atlanta. A little bit later in the broadcast, as I mentioned, we'll show you that piece of videotape involving what happened to Sting at the hands of the Dangerous Alliance. I'm sure that's one of the issues that you would like to address at this time. When I returned to World Championship Wrestling on October 27th, I vowed I would become the head of the board of directors. And the way to do this was to eliminate your top hero, Sting. Sting has been eliminated from World Championship Wrestling. First, we took his title. Then, we took his spirit. Because all the little Stingers look up now and they say, you know, Sting, you're not half the man ravishing Rick Rude truly is. And now, later on in this program, you will see that Sting is no longer physically capable of wrestling here in World Championship Wrestling. You might as well go up north and sign a contract elsewhere where the physical demands are not like they are here in World Championship Wrestling. Sting! I was your judge, and the Dangerous Alliance was your jury, and they found you guilty, and your executioner was ravishing Rick Rude. Ladies and gentlemen, the men that eliminated Sting from World Championship Wrestling, ravishing Rick Rude and the Dangerous Alliance. And uh, the Dangerous Alliance making their way to the uh, ringside momentarily. And there they are, ladies and gentlemen, in mass, the entire Dangerous Alliance. Now, I would like to stand out here today and tell you that World Championship Wrestling has dropped to its knees, looked up at me, and said, yes, we will give the Dangerous Alliance a seat on the board of directors. But you see, Jim Hurd and everybody on the board of directors, they're not that smart. So we're going to have to not only eliminate Sting, but now the son of a drunken plumber from Austin, Texas, Dustin Rhodes, you're next. Ron Simmons with a rap sheet this long from the neighborhood who represents the people. What people? The people in jail? You're next. Barry Windham with a broken paw who couldn't hold up his end of a former organization. You're next. And now Ricky 
the dragon steamboat with the wife at home carrying the little baby. Ravishing Rick Rude has a personal message for you. Ricky Steamboat, the short distance you came from striking the first lady of wrestling was literally within an inch of your life. Ricky Steamboat, you have been warned. Now let me make this perfectly clear so that there's no mistake about it. Sting, Rhodes, Wyndham, Simmons, this war against World Championship Wrestling is not over until I have a seat on the board of directors and that there's a man in a white collar standing over the grave of World Championship Wrestling and he says, Dominus Ominous, Enormity Patri, Ifili, Espirito Sanctum, Amen. Wrestling fans, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we return with Beyond the Bell, we're going to take a look at some notable stables that weren't as popular as others or certain groups that you can consider stables that fell under the radar. So we'll take a look at those as we continue with our famous faction series, The Greatest Stables of Professional Wrestling, and we'll return with more Beyond the Bell. Stay with us. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey guys, it's Mr. Money on the Mic, JJ, all caps, sexay of the SNS Radio Network. If you're looking for the latest news in professional wrestling and, of course, some of the best columns on the World Wide Web today, visit headlocks2headlines.com. That's headlocks, the number two, headlines.com. It's the official news site of the SNS Radio Network. You should make it your official news site as well. Once again, www.headlocks2headlines.com. The official fragrance of Beyond the Bell. <laughs> Practice. You know, now there's a fragrance that puts it all on the line. Arrogance. Whether it's a forehand, a backhand, every shot's a winner because women Navrata love it. Arrogance for men will make you the number one seed. One shot and you'll be in the royal box. I don't know that. Let me tell you something. Nobody knows more about being cool than the hitman. And let me tell you something. It is not cool to smoke. Be a survivor and don't smoke. Hi, this is WWE Superstar Randy Orton with an important message for all of our fans. WWE Superstars are professionally trained performers. The moves we do in the ring take years of practice to perfect and to do safely. I urge all of our WWE fans to never try to copy what we do in the ring at home or at school. Stay safe and don't try this. Good hello, I am Sergei Heminov, Russia's three-time World Rubik's Cube champion of the Rubik's Cube. 
When I relax, I like to make sexy with woman. But in spare time, I listen to radio on interwebs. I like to have opinion and ask questions to people who are the best. If you are like me and like to make sexy with woman and listen to radio, then you need to listen to what wood fans do. A show that is for the fans. The people like me, the people like you, and the people like me. Remember to send your emails for opinion, ideas, suggest, or Molotov cocktails to WWFD at ymail.com. Join Mr. Nem, Mr. Zod, and Mr. Diablo for what would fans do. Download every Saturday on here, the SNS Radio Network. Now join in in having some vodka. Mm-hmm. Oh, what? You're 15? Never too young to have vodka. Have some vodka. Hmm? No, it is quality vodka, <coughs> not like this accent. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to show you how being a Wrestling News Live family member and diehard listener can change your everyday look on life. Example, here's the brand new commercial from Subway. Hi, Samantha. Hi, Todd. Do you want to be my boyfriend? (laughs) Sure. Great. Give me a melt. My melt? Yeah. I'm your girlfriend now. Uh, I don't think this is working out. Now let's replay that commercial and show you what Todd would have said to her had he been a member of the Wrestling News Live family. Hi, Samantha. Hi, Todd. Do you want to be my boyfriend? <laughs> sure. Great. Give me a melt. My M- melt? Yeah. I'm your girlfriend now. Shit, bitch. Who the hell you think you are? Give me my sandwich back. Bitch, please. Better be willing to give me some of that pussy before you get some of my sandwich. Shit. Ladies and gentlemen, this is just another example of how becoming a member of the Wrestling News Live family helps you live a better life. Wrestling matters to me because for some reason it has a multi-generational appeal. It brings families together and it's inexplicable. It simply is what it is. What matters to me most is that people uh, think of my career and remember that I made them laugh and wince in equal measures. Don't miss Impact Wrestling, Thursdays at 9 on Spike. Impact Wrestling. Wrestling matters again. Not getting enough TNA Wrestling? It's time to join TNAOnDemand.com. The place to access over 300 hours of classic TNA programming. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. TNAOnDemand.com is the ultimate resource for pay-per-views and exclusive TNA programming. Log on to gain instant access to every TNA DVD ever released. Go to TNAOnDemand.com to get started right now. It's time. It's time to stop the name-calling. The hurt. The bullying. Because of race, creed, color, sexual orientation. It's time to treat everyone like you want to be treated. It's time. It's time. It's time to eliminate. Eliminate. Eliminate the hate. Eliminate the hate. Eliminate the hate. 
Billy, you know Dad doesn't allow action figures on the table. But you said no, I Billy. could. <laughs> hey, hon, that's no action figure. That's WWE superstar Randy Orton. Where'd you get him? Kmart. Isn't he so cute? Bring home all the action of the ring with WWE toys, DVDs, t-shirts, bedding, and more. And now get $15 off your next purchase of WWE merchandise when you buy $40 of WWE gear. Do you have a kung fu grip? Welcome back to Beyond the Bell. Your host, ring announcer Sean Beckerman, here with you as we are taking a look back at the famous factions, the greatest stables of all time in the world of professional wrestling and sports entertainment. So, in this next segment, we're going to take a look at some notable stables that they could, we, we should definitely speak about. They may not be classified as the greatest of all time, but they definitely made an impact on the wrestling industry. So we'll start off with Team Canada. Formed originally as a team to compete in TNA's X-Cup tournament, Team Canada remained a group after the tournament ended. Captain Petey Williams and Eric Young went out to become X-Division champions, and Young also held the TNA Tag Team titles with Bobby Roode. That was the current version of Team Canada. That bridged from its previous incarnation in WCW, which was headed up by Lance Storm, where Storm basically held every single singles and tag team title there was to offer besides the World Heavyweight Championship. And then, in turn, most notably, when he changed the United States title to the Canadian Championship. Very unique for its time, putting the Canadian flag on the U.S. title definitely garnered some heat for him in the United States. And it built some steam with one of the most controversial angles happening in the group when they had Hacksaw Jim Duggan, all-American Hacksaw Jim Duggan, joining the group, you could say initially against his will, but then embracing Team Canada under the tutelage of Vince Russo's storyline. And you could say excellent booking, quote-unquote. Hence my sarcasm. But Team Canada, that I love the idea for Team Canada. I love the the stable because no matter what faction they had in WCW or TNA, there was good wrestling behind Team Canada. Specifically, more importantly, in TNA. In the early stages of TNA, when, when they were having hot matches, hot feuds on Fox Sports, that when they were really getting that niche and, having, and pulling some good numbers uh, on, for pay-per-view buys, the, the the talent they had, the talent pool in Team Canada specifically with the Canadian Destroyer, P.D. Williams, was so unique and epic at that time. And I truly feel that we need to take a look at Team Canada as one of the most notable stables in the history of professional wrestling. The Filthy Animals. Those short-lived, the, fil- the Filthy Animals featured some of the best high-flying wrestlers in WCW, known for pulling DX-like pranks. The Filthy Animals were also respected for their wrestling ability. Included in the group were Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, Kidman, Conan, Juventud Guerrero, and Disco Inferno, just to name a few. Definitely had an impact towards the latter portion of WCW. It was Vince Russo's answer to a, uh, you could say, a more hip-hop version of D-Generation X. That leads me to our next group, the the LWO, the Latino World Order. This is when they start to dilute the factions of the NWO, NWO Hollywood, NWO Black and White, NWO Red and Black, the Wolf Pack. So they split up the factions, gave them different names, then switched them to Hollywood and, and Wolf Pack. Diluted the brand, I think, significantly. And one of the variations was the LWO, which was formed by Eddie Guerrero. One of the top feuds was was adding Rey Mysterio to the group against his will. You know, the mask on the line, the, the whole deal that involved 
with with that storyline. But the LWO comprised of Juventud Guerrero, you know, saw psych, psychosis. Um, but the one man that they could not get was Rey Mysterio. He would not sign and would not join the group. So that was a storyline in its own. LWO, a unique faction, notable. I wouldn't say one of the greats, but we could definitely speak about in regards to making an impact on professional wrestling. Let's look at the Army of Darkness. These guys were pure evil, and why not? The leader was a self-professed Satanist. The Army was not interested in titles, but just to make the fan favorites in Florida hate life. This stable terrorized fans and wrestlers alike. Dusty Rhodes, Barry Windham, superstar Billy Graham, and Mike Graham all felt the wrath of the evil entities. Sullivan's other mission was to convert and recruit the fan favorites into his army. Kevin Sullivan led this group. The Army of Darkness was so, so, I think, dark, (laughs) for lack of a better term, in terms of they changed, they made you fear them, where you, in reality, you were scared of these guys. And this fit perfectly and bridged perfectly in WCW, where Kevin Sullivan took the concept of the Army of Darkness and he converted the Dungeon of Doom, which debuted... Now the big show, Paul White, he was the giant. And those mysterious promos, you had the Zodiac, Brutus Beefcake. You had Earthquake come in and join in as the shark. You, know, you had different unique personalities. Kamala came in to join the group. So it was very different for its time. Very, you could say, that was PGS, very corny. You could say even G-rated with, with some of the... The promos we saw with the fog and the vignettes with with the Dungeon of Doom. Sullivan, my son! So the Army of Darkness converted in WCW to the Dungeon of Doom. So both had an impact in professional wrestling. Good or bad, they still had an impact. Speaking of Doom, let's talk about the Legion of Doom. Fans may not remember, but the LOD was more than Hawk and Animal and Ellering. At one point, they terrorized GCW with Jake the Snake Roberts, King Kong Bundy, Buzz Sawyer, Arn Anderson, Matt Bourne, and the Iron Sheik. The Legion of Doom was a bigger group than just Hawk and Animal with Precious Paul. You could say it was carried over in the modern day in WWF when they brought Draws, Puke, Darren Drozdoff in, and they added them to the group for a short period of time. And they kind of expanded to the Legion of Doom in that matter. And there were talks at the time of making them a group possibly to feud with the Heart Foundation. So it would be the LOD against the Heart Foundation. But it never really went past Puke being joined to the group. But we cannot forget the Legion of Doom and its impact it made outside of tag team wrestling into the world of factions and stables. The Varsity Club. Sullivan was more concerned with berating Rick Steiner than focusing the group to win the world title. That was the main point with the Varsity Club. It consisted of all-American athletes that were successful in collegiate wrestling. You had Rick Steiner join the group. Um, You had Mike Rotonda. You had Kevin Sullivan. At one point, you had Dr. Dusty Williams. This group was all-American athletes, all collegiate athletes. And if Kurt Angle was around during this time, Kurt Angle would have been a perfect fit for this group. So the group... I could say that you would they had two potential world champions in Mike Rotundo and Dr. Dust Steve Williams. And they were able to feud in the Crockett. They had great feuds for the Crockett Cup uh, Memorial Tournament. Again, a concept that we'll talk about in Beyond the Bell that I think they should bring back. And they maybe should retitle it because some fans, younger fans, won't understand the reference to the Crockett Cup. 
but you should bring back that type of tag team tournament style, sort of like the Bound for Glory series that we're currently seeing right now on TNA or Impact Wrestling. But the Varsity Club, for the time, was a different stable, had a different take on a group, and I liked it. It was unique, and it had great wrestling and great wrestlers and gave them a nice rub uh, working with each other to make themselves higher up and bigger on the card. Devastation Inc., Skandar Akbar's whole purpose was to get a collection of monsters like the Missing Link and Kamala and terrorize the territory's fan favorite. Usually they would succeed and put out the top good guy for a few months. Remember Devastation Inc. because in our next segment we'll talk about a group that was very similar in its monster type of of feel or uh, look. So remember the Devastation Inc. was the first incarnation of a sort of ministry. There's a little hint for you fans out there. Speaking of ministry, The Brood. During the late 90s, the WWE had a vampire stable called The Brood. Before True Blood, before we saw things get popular with Twilight and those other vampire movies, they entered the arena from the ramp underneath the stage and Gangrel, the vampire, would hold a cup filled with blood. Quote unquote blood. It was so unique. It was so it was it was such a visually appealing entrance. Made such an impact. Gangrel would drink the blood from the container or the cup he was holding, and then spit it out in the air before entering the ring. Many of the brood's opponents would be victim to a bloodbath at the end of a match. This would involve the lights going out for a brief period and then coming back on where the opponent would be covered head to toe with blood. A cool gimmick and very original for its time. And the group had some pretty good members. Gangrel was the quote-unquote leader of the group since he was the head vampire. And then he had his little minions. I want to call them little now in this day and age. A young group or young tag team by the name of Edge and Christian. At the time, Bill his brothers, Edge and Christian together, debuted with Gangrel. Well, Edge debuted on his own with, with vignettes, and then Christian came in as the, the tormented brother of Edge, and they combined together and joined Gangrel. And the Brood definitely made an impact. Their entrance was one you will never forget. The Dudley family. Notable members, Dudley Dudley, yes, I'm not stuttering, Big Dick Dudley, Snot Dudley, D.W. Dudley, Sign Guy Dudley, Bubba Ray Dudley, Chubby Dudley, Spike Dudley, and we can't forget, of course, Devon Dudley. The Dudley family was a major part in ECW history. They were a huge, huge portion of their history. They were a large stable consisting of half-brothers, quote-unquote, in the original ECW. The group's gimmick was that even though they had all looked completely different, they were all the sons of a womanizer in the form of Big Daddy Dudley. We never saw Big Daddy Dudley, but apparently he had a bunch of kids. And here come the Dudley boys. God may have rested on the seventh day, but the Dudleys don't. Sunday night, April 13th, Eliminators, it's time to testify! Eliminators, how does it feel? How does it feel to lose sleep at night, knowing that you ain't the best tag team in the world anymore? 
We've taken everything that you guys got to offer. Hurricane Cronus, Air Saturn, every moonsault, every flip, every punch, every kick. This Sunday night, in front of the world, barely legal. What makes you think anything is gonna be different? At the end, it dwindled down to just Devon and Bubba, the most popular incarnation of the group. Sign Guy Dudley floated around there towards the end of ECW. And they made such an impact because it was unique. I like the concept. I like the, the you know, I remember another <laughs> Dances with Dudley was one of my more one of the more memorable uh members of the group. You know, the, the Native American version of a Dudley. But the the beautiful part is Bubba Ray and Devon, one black, one white, and they both share the same dad. Truly a great concept by Paulie, and it carried through to even this day and age with when in, in Impact Wrestling TNA with Team 3D now disbanded with Bully Ray developing a great character. But the Dudley family definitely made an impact on the world of professional wrestling, and it was so unique for its time, especially in that hardcore ECW world. And it, it definitely gave a nice edge uh, to the tag team division by adding the stable of misfits and... It added comedy with seriousness, with, with hardcore entertainment. Definitely a, m- a memorable group, the Dudley family. And we'll cap off this uh, this segment with the Radicals. Notable members, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, and Perry Saturn. The Radicals were a group of guys from the WWE's rival wrestling organization, WCW. Even though they had some time in ECW, they were more they were gaining popularity in world championship wrestling they didn't like the way they were being used in wcw and jumped ship to the wwe in 2000 it was a cool way the wwe brought the the guys in they made their debut on raw's war the the main show for for wwe at the time even to this day and they want to make an impact they want to to catch people by surprise they were they were brought in as guests and friends of Mick Foley, who happened to just be in the audience. It was an unusual and interesting angle, as they all had street clothes on. And we weren't expecting it. I remember one day I just saw them on TV, and I freaked out. What are they, what are they doing? Perry Saturn? Chris Benoit? And seeing Eddie, I couldn't wait to see Eddie Guerrero. I wanted to see him in WWE because of his personality. He was being buried in WCW. It, I was so so excited to see them come in. But they're not one of the greatest of all time because the group broke up pretty much as soon as it started as all the wrestlers in the group wanted to grow on their own. And Eddie Guerrero's first match where he dislocated his elbow, which looked nasty against the New Age Outlaws. But again, this group made an impact, and we'll put them on this list because they made an impact in professional wrestling and they changed the course of where the business was going. This was right around the time when we saw really the the nail... The nails were starting to be collected to put in the coffin for WCW, for lack of a better uh, um, example there. But you could believe when they came in, they gathered the nails together and were picking up the hammer and ready to start burying WCW. And the Radicals definitely helped kick that off. So I believe they they belong in in the section for notable stables. So we look back at the uh, we look 
we took a look back at 10 stables that I believe made an impact in the world of professional wrestling. may not be the greatest of all time, but definitely entertained us, you know, made a mark in our memories with the moments they provided us, and helped create some stars in one way or another. So after our next commercial break, wrestling fans, we'll take a look at four of the greatest stables of all time. Stay with us as we'll be right back with more Beyond the Bell on the SNS Radio Network. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. WrestlingOnline.com, the official news source of Wrestling News Live. You're looking for the latest news in the world of MMA and professional wrestling. Log on to www.wrestling-online.com and sign up for the largest and longest running newsletter on the internet today with over 26,000 subscribers and over 3,000 issues. And the best part, just like WNL, it's free. Once again, that's www.wrestlingonline.com. Put your tongue on and see if it hurt. I hear voices in my head. They counsel me. They understand. They talk to me. Since 1996, audio wrestling has been getting in the ring as your definitive source for all your wrestling desires. Interviews with some of pro wrestling's biggest stars. Providing you with a wide selection of award-winning wrestling shows from past and present. Such as Ministry of Slam, Monday Night Mayhem, In Your Head, WrestleCast, Sunday Night Showdown, Wrestling News Live, Between the Ropes, RVD Radio, WrestleCast, and WrestleTalk Radio, and many others. If you can't get enough Mad Mania, climb into the ring with Audio Wrestling, www.audiowrestling.com, and check out all the real voices of wrestling radio, Audio Wrestling, keeping you tuned in since 1996. Can you dig it, dig it, sucker, sucker? This is Booker T, the five-time WCW champion, and you're listening to SNS Radio Network. Can you dig it, Every story has a beginning. He is the man of destiny. Every superstar has an evolution. The youngest world champion in history. And every champion never settles. 99%'s good enough. Just not good enough to beat me. Always primed. Randy Orton is always in control. Ready to strike. Orton is getting to that place, that gear that only Randy Orton has. Reborn with each challenge. 
born with a vengeance. Bigger. Badder. Better. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Wrestling Radio Tips on how to host your very own wrestling radio show. Wrestling Radio Tip 101, take listener phone calls. Here's how it works. You set up a phone line, and when a listener calls in, you answer just like this. All right, let's let's go back to the phone lines. Welcome to Wrestling News Live. Who's this? What? Welcome to Wrestling News Live. Who's this? What? Welcome to Wrestling News Live. Who's this? Okay. <laughs> I, I don't really follow Hulk Hogan because I, I just kind of find him up to be a, a washed-up douchebag. The skeet, 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 skeet. It, it, it's been booming in the warehouse with, with Sincata just starting in WWE. The T-shirts and the masks have been up in the sky. Of, you know, so your tennis shoes are in the side. I told Julio to hold up on them. All we have to wait for the shoelaces to come in in the bottom sole. What? 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 Okay. Well, what you gonna do, brother? Well, I just take off my shirt. Yeah. Say my prayers. Eat my vitamins. Yeah. Say no to the holy God. And I'm gonna go after you, brother. Yeah. Yeah. What you gonna do when the two-inch pythons run wild on you? <laughs> Bye, nigga. Wrestling matters to me because it is who I am. When you think of Kurt Angle or the name Kurt Angle, the word wrestling always seems to come up. It's what I've done my whole life. It's what I was destined to do. Whether it be an amateur or pro wrestler, I was destined to become the greatest wrestler in the world, and that's who I am. Don't miss Impact Wrestling, Thursdays at 9 on Spike. Impact Wrestling. Wrestling matters again. Every day I train. Injuries can happen at any time. It popped right off the bone. I knew it was torn as soon as it happened. I've torn the pectoral muscle completely off my shoulder. I've had surgery five times in my left knee. I can't compare this pain to any other pain. I heard something snap. I knew something was wrong. Please, don't try this. Hey you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Have you checked out the new Unplugged on Friday nights? Well, if you haven't, make sure you check out the new Unplugged Friday nights with JJ Sexay at 10.30 Eastern Standard Time, 8.30 Mountain Standard Time, where JJ covers Smackdown, video games, and whatever the hell else he feels like. See you in chat. Unforgiving, unrelenting, sheer punishment. No place to run, no place to hide. It's a match that terrorizes opponents, leaving them battered, brutalized, hopeless. The Cage Match. Now, here's your chance to own the devastating collection in The Greatest Cage Matches of All Time. 
with 24 vicious battles of unedited action from NWA, AWA, WCCW, WCW, and WWE. Plus, never-before-released encounters on DVD of the most dangerous matches ever. The greatest cage matches of all time. Wrestling is my life. I mean, ever since I was a little teeny holster, my dad used to take me to watch wrestling in Tampa, Florida. I grew up with it. I vicariously lived through it. I wanted to be a wrestler. It's all I ever wanted to be. When I step in that squared circle, I'm in the moment. That's all I care about. That's all I focus on. It's so simple to understand, so simple for people to dive in and just forget all their cares and everything that's going on in the world and live through Impact Wrestling. We bring wrestling back the way it should be. It's the conflict in the world. It's good versus evil. It's all things to all men and women. You get a chance to step out of your normal lives and vicariously live through Impact Wrestling. Wrestling matters here at Impact Wrestling. Welcome back to Beyond the Bell. Your host, ring announcer Sean Beckerman, is breaking down the greatest stables of all time. Famous factions. What a series so far. And we're going to finish it out with four of the greatest stables of all time. Let's start off with the Ministry of Darkness. We spoke about it earlier. The Ministry of Darkness was implied to be a satanic-type cult formed by The Undertaker in early 1999. After losing a buried-alive match to Stone Cold Steve Austin at In Your House, Rock Bottom, The Undertaker disappeared for several weeks. Upon his return, along with Paul Bearer, he began recruiting several wrestlers to join his stable, including the Acolytes, Farouk and Bradshaw, Midian, Dennis Knight, Viscera, Mabel, and The Brood, which who we discussed earlier, Gangrel, Edge, and Christian. The ministry's main goal was to take over the WWE and destroy Vince McMahon in the process. Over the course of its existence, the ministry performed a number of satanic rituals, including crucifying Austin and abducting abducting both Stephanie McMahon and Ken Shamrock's sister, Ryan. Vince's, Vince's perceived helplessness over the course of the feud made the power of the ministry all the more believable. Things started to go downhill a bit, however, when the Brood willingly left the group due to the Undertaker trying to force Gangrel and Edge to sacrifice Christian after Christian gave up information to Shamrock. Little Vince Russo overbooking there. Over the course of the Undertaker's reign of terror, he insisted that a higher power was directing him. As it turned out, the higher power was revealed as Vince McMahon in one of the most anticlimactic and senseless storylines in WWE history. I was not a fan of this. This spelled the end of the Ministry of Darkness, as it had already merged with the corporation to form the Corporate Ministry, which we discussed earlier in the show. It was revealed that everything the Ministry did was orchestrated by McMahon as a way to destroy Austin. It, it took away the mystique of the Ministry right there. It, it pulled a lot, took a lot of its luster right out, just by adding that extra element to the storyline. Once this announcement was made, the corporate ministry's days were essentially numbered as a stable, and it had grown too big and had little left to fight for. You could say the peak of the corporate ministry was on the first ever edition of SmackDown, when they all came out, and you saw them all lined up on the entrance ramp, and all I thought was, man, that's a huge group, and you started to get the feel of like a dark NWO type. That was the feel you got with this group. 
The corporate ministry may not accomplish much, but the ministry of darkness was certainly one of the most feared stables in WWE history. Why is Paul Bear back? As you can plainly see, there has been a reconciliation made. Brother Paul has come home to lead my ministry of darkness. And I'm sure that there's those who can't understand because they have no vision how I could align myself once more with such a despicable, evil, maniacal individual. Well, if those aren't reasons enough, I don't guess I can explain it any better. What we have is someone with vision, someone who truly understands the power of the darkness. He allowed me to clear my head and refocus on what it is I am here for. Now what we have is a beginning of a new era and we will unleash with our ministry of darkness a plague for which the World Wrestling Federation has never seen, nor will it be ever understood amongst those who do not relish in the darkness. So now, those of you who do not declare shall be declared. for you again he's your son for god's sakes you rotund demon you know cain i know there's a thought that's been burning in your mind for years you really want to know what happened the day you caught on fire well listen and listen close I set that fire. What? And I set it because you were weak as a child. 
and you're weak now. And we have no room for the weak. Only the strong shall survive. I can't but wait a minute. Oh, well, business may pick up right here because that music indicates that Kane is the only way to rope. I can't believe that Undertaker just admitted that he set the fire that deformed his own brother. Wait a minute. That's Kane, and he's he's pushing a, a huge casket. Uh-oh. Kane, the seven-foot younger brother, who went to war with the Undertaker at Judgment Day. I don't know. And he's heard some shocking news here tonight that's like driving a stake through his heart. You and I tonight casket match. There's a challenge, apparently. Kane challenging The Undertaker for a casket match. He cut right to the chase. A man, a few words. And, brother, you will rest in peace. Next up, D-Generation X. Along with Stone Cold Steve Austin, D-Generation X was responsible for helping the WWE eventually win the ratings war over WCW, which had become the premier wrestling company in 96 and 97. Shawn Michaels, Triple H, China, and to a lesser extent, Rick Rude were the founding members of DX. Although it was technically a heel stable, the fans loved DX due to its crude humor and constant humiliation of Vince McMahon and Commissioner Sergeant Slaughter. DX's most infamous moment came when Michaels beat Bret Hart for the WWF Championship at Survivor Series, the Montreal Screwdrop. This made DX a bit more villainous. Although they were still universally, universally loved outside of Hart's home country of Canada, the first incarnation of DX effectively came to an end when Michaels lost the WWE Championship to Austin at WrestleMania 14. This was due in part to the fact that Michaels had a severe back injury and had to temporarily, temporarily retire from wrestling. This made Triple H the de facto leader of DX. And as leader, he added X-Pac, Sean Waltman, and the New Age Outlaws, Billy Gunn and the Road Dog, to the stable. Due to the group's overwhelming popularity, they eventually became faces officially. DX's popularity reached new heights when they were sent on a war against WCW in which they legitimately went to WCW headquarters and shouted insults. Over the course of 1999, the group slowly began to dissolve. It was reformed late in the year, however, as a heel group, with the main focus being on Triple H and his wife, Stephanie McMahon Helmsley. Although this wasn't considered to be the best or most entertaining version of the group, it did result in two WWE Championship reigns for Triple H. DX came to be once again on two later occasions. 
but as only as a tag team featuring Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Back together again, the original group. D-Generation X is undoubtedly considered one of the most entertaining and all-around best stables in the wrestling industry. Well, you gotta know your role, and I think we're gonna find out what everybody's role is here now. Look at the I mean, of the nation! Look at the front of Rock! And look at B-Low over there! B-Low! Look at that thing, that Yahoo dressed up like Owen Hart. I guess they're gonna come down there and lay some smack now. Well, I can tell you this, I know that The Rock is in Miami and is home watching this tonight. Owen Hart's in Calgary, and Mark Henry's down in Texas. And I'll bet the furniture in all three of their houses are flying around the room right now. Look at this guy, no! What? Well, we have not seen, we have not seen DX all day, folks, which is very uncharacteristic for these guys. What is that, Neazard? What does that mean? You, Neazard. <laughs> Look at this, this is crazy. He is The Rock, Look! The part of The Rock will now be played by Triple H. Look at that eyebrow. Hands <laughs> up. Hoes down. Look at the Godfather. We're seen. <laughs> What'd that mean? smelled what the rock was cooking <laughs> oh look at below nation ain't gonna like this i ain't faking you should have smelled what the rock was baking the rock was baking brother was baking <laughs> look at look at below he's the man he's gonna shake his hand <laughs> i'm trying to below uh-oh going on here now? Wait a minute. Uh-oh, it's the people's elbow, JR. Oh, the best damn elbow in the business, according to The Rock. Look at this. <laughs> As a matter of fact. <laughs> people's elbow. And the people are standing up. Look at this. When it comes to the crock and the ladies, and the crock hits rock bottom, he has no choice but to lay that smack down on himself. <laughs> you hear that? The brother smacks himself down. Oh, look at me. Oh, oh man. Uh, can you imagine the rock? He's broken every piece of furniture in his living room right now. Hey, wait a minute. Look at this guy. Is that his nose or did park a bus on his face? Supposed to be Owen Hart. Well, enough is enough. And it's time for a change! Listen to that! It is Owen Hart! Did you hear that so voice? what? Nobody listens to me. Nobody gives a damn what I think. And what the hell am I doing wearing this ridiculous outfit? <laughs> I look like a damn road sign! <laughs> what the hell am I? A school crossing? You know, I try to be a tough guy. But I just couldn't grow my damn beard in. <laughs> and you know what? I am not 
a nugget. I'm a black heart, damn it. A winner, a soul survivor. Woo! Oh, <laughs> things are not well in Calgary tonight. That is, that is Owen Hart. And if anybody smells what the rock is cooking, it's me. Look how big my damn nose is. <laughs> what the hell am I? An art mark? <laughs> what does the brother look like? An art mark? Bilo, look at Bilo. Hey, 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 Rock. Me is Ark Henry. I don't know what y'all cooking. Smells like shit. Oh, my. But I think I'll eat some anyway. <laughs> you know something, Mark Henry? <laughs> Me is Ark Henry. <laughs> right. I know you're the world's strongest man, and the croc's got a hell of a body himself. But there's one thing the people want to know. How do you get your pecs to go all the way around to your back like that? <laughs> oh, man. What he wants to know is how... Shut up! <laughs> Look. Shut your mouths and know your role. Nation, it's real simple. We got two words for you. As we count down to our final two factions in this great series, we look at the NWO, the New World Order. It's fair to say that no stable has ever formed in such a shocking manner, and no stable has ever been as dominant as the New World Order. When WCW poached Scott Hall and Kevin Nash from the WWE in 1996, a storyline began that suggested that Hall and Nash were intruders, outsiders if you will, from the WWE who were looking to take over WCW. The most surprising aspect of this stable, of course, came when Hulk Hogan joined Hall and Nash at Bash at the Beach and turned heel for the first time since his early days in the WWE. Alright, I promise you an answer. That's what you're here for. But we've got some questions we've got to resolve before we do all that. Right off the bat, I want to let you know, right here, right now, I was in the WCW offices, debated, you want a match, you want a war, you want it inside of the ring, you're going to get it. They fell into the trap, big man. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got some couple considerations here. Before we go a whole lot further, I will tell you it'll be at Bash at the Beach, July 7th in Daytona. I'm free. I'm but free. before we go any further, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we go any further, let's clear one thing up. Do you work for the WWF? No. How about it? No. Forget about the past, Chico. Let's worry about the future. We want to know who your three guys are. Is it, is it the uh, Nacho Man? I don't think so. And what about, what about the immortal Huckster? You know, you tell billionaire Ted to break out the money and get anybody you can because the big man 
and the medium-sized mang and our surprise buddy are going to carve them up. I want to ask you a question right now. He's had his say. Who are they, man? Who are they? Come I can't on. tell you. I'll tell you tomorrow night on Nitro. That's the deal. You can't tell us? You don't jack us around, don't jack Oh, for Christ. Whoa. What are they doing? Security. You get up there right now. For, oh, for, oh. Get security up there. Unbelievable. Please. Please get it. Unbelievable. This is sick. Yeah. Tony, I got it. They I, should. They, hold on. Where's the at? He's right down below us here. Oh, my God. We're, we're going to need some medical attention right now. Yes. Right now, ladies and gentlemen. Big boys. They just left the building. Hey, get these guys off here. Cut this thing off. Get some, what, what they, Can we on. have some medical? This is sick. Eric Bischoff. Of course, the host of Nitro. Executive producer and WC. Hogan then rechristened himself as Hollywood Hogan. The NWO would begin its assault on WCW when Hogan won the WCW World Heavyweight Championship at Hog Wild from the Giant. The NWO would soon add new members, including Vincent, former Virgil, Six, former 123 Kid Sean Waltman, The Giant, now The Big Show, Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning, Macho Man Randy Savage, and Buff Bagwell, among others. In Well, the NWO's biggest feud was with Sting, which lasted throughout 1997, which we'll discuss on a future epic encounter. Sting often appeared in the rafters during NWO matches, but didn't wrestle a match or say a word, not one word, throughout the entire year. The blow-off to the feud came when Sting beat Hogan at Starcade. It was very anticlimactic with the overbooked ending. This was the beginning of the end in terms of the NWO's credibility in the minds of many. However, you could say Hogan originally scored a clean victory over Sting in the match, but Bret Hart came out, ordered the match to restart, with Sting eventually winning. This hurt Sting severely as he looked weak in the victory. This probably should have been the end of the NWO, but it continued for a long period of time after Starcade. The group eventually split into two factions, NWO Hollywood NWO Wolfpack. A countless amount of wrestlers, from main eventers to glorified jobbers, joined the NWO in the following years until its disbandment in 2000. The NWO reformed in the WWE, but only for a fairly short and uneventful run as the stable had already run its course. There is no doubt that because of Nash and Hogan's booking powers, the NWO was the most successful stable in wrestling history. Things got overly complicated, though, when seemingly anyone and everyone was allowed into the group. Made it less important. Had the NWO stayed as relatively small and stayed in that small group of main event caliber wrestlers, like the initial three, it could have been even better. Stables simply have a shelf life, but Hogan, Nash, Eric Bischoff, and all were either unable or unwilling to realize this. The numerous reincarnations of the group damaged his reputation a bit, hence NWO 2000, when Bret Hart came on board with Jeff Jarrett, was overbooked. But all wrestling fans certainly would have fond memories of the original NWO, and to this very day, that is the formula of making a successful stable. 
Mr. McMahon even said that he regretted bringing these three individuals into the WWF, but he felt he had to do it. I'm going to tell you what, JR, if you want to thank somebody for these three guys being here, you can thank Ric Flair. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? He's the one that drove Mr. McMahon to the point to where he brought these guys here. Ric Flair did it. These guys are like a pack of dogs. They run in a pack. They will affect their will on anyone at any time. Tell the truth, JR. Tell me right now, did you ever... In your wildest dreams, think that you would ever see Hogan, Nash, and Hall in a World Wrestling Federation ring again. Well, you never say never in this business, but I was damn sure hoping that they wouldn't be in a WWF ring again. Wow. Maybe we'll get a little bit of an indication as to what three, these three men have on their mind, what their agenda will be here tonight. Well, I think we're going to get an indication, all right. They perceive that they are bigger than our business. It's got a bad feeling about this, the way this program is starting here tonight. Just listen up, JR. Pay attention. Let's see what they got to say. These fans need to. Maybe get on their good side. You know. Give them a chance. Maybe show them some respect. Why? We're here tonight to set the record straight. We came in here earlier today, and you would not believe the amount of heat we had with the boys. Some of the stairs were actually kind of frightening. And for what? I mean, because of some reputation we have? I mean, in the last couple of weeks, Words have been thrown around in association with the NWO like poison. We've heard that. Cancer. You know, some people say that we're self-servant. You know, some people actually have used profanity and have said that the NWO is a bunch of company-killing Bastards. I think that was you that said that, JR. And speaking for myself and my two friends here, let me tell you something. That hurts our feelings. I mean, what is it we've done? What what awful thing did we do? King, their feelings are hurt. Give me a break. I mean, all we want is a, a fair chance, a, a clean slate. We want the ability to come out and prove to you great fans You're applauding the fans. 
not only can we do it, but nobody does it quite like us. Well, that was, that was actually pretty humble. Hey, yo. We're not the bad guys. Heck, we're a bunch of marks. We're fans. We just want the opportunity to work with some of the great WWF superstars. I mean, we might even get some autographs. Hey. Maybe take some pictures. If we're lucky, uh, we might even get to drink some beer with the boys. No, not you. But the point is, we don't want any trouble. Because deep down, we're just like all of you. Sure they are. Sure they are, King. Well, maybe, maybe we should give them a chance. You know, Scott and Kevin, I couldn't agree with you more. We're, we're just like all of you out there. I mean, we might be a little richer and a little more famous, but I mean, we're not here to kill the WWF. We're here to make it better. Well, that's a relief. All we want to do is give the WWF fans exactly what they want. And all we want from you is a chance. But it's up to all of you out there and all the boys in the back if we get our chance. That remains to be seen. But I can tell you one thing right now. In all sincerity, there's one man who gave the NWO a chance, and that was Vince McMahon. And right now, I'd like to thank Vince McMahon for the opportunity and I want to tell you, Vince McMahon, we will not let you down. God bless Vince McMahon. Thank you. And God bless all of you, too. And last of all, God bless America. Thank you for the chance. Did we give a chance, JR? I can't stick for you, huh? I don't buy into one word that we've just heard. About how corny it's saying. I mean, next we're going to be taking vitamins again. I mean, God bless America. Who could give a damn about America? He could care less about the fans that are here. These three guys care about only one thing, and that's each other. Well, wait a minute. Let me, let me ask you this. Is it possible, JR? 
is it, is it possible that they change? I, I, I assume that anything is possible, King, but I gotta, I, I'm not convinced, let me tell you that. I'm just not convinced. Well, maybe you gotta give them a chance to convince you. Are you buying into that stuff? I'm just, you know, I'm just... Well, when Hawk said, God bless America, you know, he got the rise out of you that he wanted to elicit out of everybody else in my estimation. These guys were not humble guys that are here to, to help the WWF. They've got their own agenda. They've always had their own agenda. We knew that coming in here. They built one company and then destroyed it. The old WCW. Maybe they've changed. You've changed over the years, JR. Not necessarily for the better, but you've changed. Maybe these guys have changed for the better. And in the final slot... Not a top 10 list, not a top 20 list, but we're just looking back at the greatest stables of all time. But I think in my book, and I think many other wrestling fans' books, you can look at this faction as the number one stable of all time. And that is the Four Horsemen. This is what I was waiting for. Many call the Four Horsemen the greatest collection of wrestlers in sports entertainment history. Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, Tully Blanchard, and Ole Anderson were the original members, with others in between. A group of four people thinking collectively, acting individually to accomplish one goal, to be a dominant force in professional wrestling. And boy, where were they? The reason this group ran roughshod over Jim Crockett Promotions is simple, very simple. They worked harder than everyone else. Flair was the world champion, Anderson was the enforcer, Blanchard was the consummate heel, and Ole was rough and tough and did mop-up work when needed for the group. Each member knew their roles in the group, and they embraced it. Tully was a mid-card champion, and the Andersons were tag team champions, all trying to make sure Flair never lost the world title. That was the goal. Seeing something like that today would be a shock to most wrestling fans. Other wrestlers were members of the Horsemen as well. Once Ole Anderson left, we saw Lex Luger, Barry Windham, Sting, Sid Vicious, all had roles in the Horsemen at one time or another. During this time, the Horsemen had their strongest run, having all the meaningful titles in their hands at one time on more than a few occasions. Along with James J. Dillon, just like Christmas, New Year's, Easter, the 4th of July, anytime you see the four horsemen together, it's something special. It's a special day. It's an event, if you would. The newspapers come around, the TV cameras cover it because we're special, because we control wrestling. We rule the world of professional wrestling the world television champion, the world heavyweight champion, the greatest tag team combination of all time, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, the Andersons, and my humble self. Tony Giovanni, the rock and myself stand before you in this Yuletide season a little naked. You see, world television champion, world heavyweight champion, but Rock and I are a little bare. Our tree is a little bare. But let me tell you, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that's temporary. You see, Nikita Koloff, you've got to stop. You're the U.S. heavyweight champion. I'm not forgetting that. Ronnie Garvin, Barry Windham, you're the U.S. tag champion. Rock and myself have not forgot that. So rest assured, GQ Ball, as I stand here before you, rest assured. Your U.S. title is in jeopardy. It doesn't get mentioned much, but it's in the back of my mind because I'm going to tell you, I myself, personally, am going to restore the name Anderson to where it should be on top of the heap. 
I guess what we're trying to say is whether you're a fat out of shape truck driver, whether you're a skinny geek pushing a taxi cab, whether you're a doctor or lawyer that doesn't have half the money we have, this is the way life is. If Ollie wants to slap Road Warrior Hawk, he'll do it. If Tully wants to spit on Road Warrior Animal, he'll do it. If Iron wants to take Dusty Rhodes, do all that, he'll do it. And Nikita, if I want you, all three of them, to hold you, I'm going to slap you. I'm going to spit on you, I'm going to kick you, and I'm going to go, woo, all night long. We going to Minneapolis, we going to LA, we going to Frisco, Albuquerque, Chicago. In other words, after we beat all the wrestlers up, if there's a woman out there, what to find out just where she stands in the world of femininity, jump on the horseman one time, baby. It's an all-night we're going to destroy Philly tonight. Woo! Chicago tomorrow, the four horsemen right Thank here. Yeah! To me, the, the, we'll talk about the most powerful or strongest compilation of wrestlers, uh, a part of the horsemen. But then in the mid to late 90s, when the Monday, Nitro Wars, or the Monday Night War started with Nitro and Raw, the horsemen became second tier with Arn and Flair, still members, but having Chris Benoit which was a good selection at the time. Dean Malenko, great wrestler, but missing the all-around, you could say, charisma package. And Steve, McMi- Steve McMichael, which, sure, he had the charisma, but he was terrible in the ring. They were all horsemen during this time, but I believe this was the second worst incarnation of the horsemen, as I believe the worst was when pretty Paul Roma joined the group, which was, I think that was the worst incarnation of the horsemen. Mongo had the horseman flair and attitude, um, so I think that could could put him ahead over Roma as a better horseman. But those were two of the worst incarnations of the group. To me, I believe the best incarnation is when you had Flair, Arn, Tully, and Barry Windham. And Ric Flair to this day will tell you that was his favorite uh, combination of the group because it had the best wrestlers in the industry in all one collection, in one group, with sharing one common goal. At their peak, nobody touched the Horsemen. They beat up Dusty Rhodes, the Rock and Roll Express, Nikita Koloff, Magnum TA, and any other baby's face that got in their way. To me, I believe all of the other factions after them pale in comparison to the Four Horsemen. Evolution mirrored the system, mirrored the groundwork that the Horsemen laid out. They took the that mold that was the Four Horsemen, and reinvented it with Triple H, Flair, Batista, and Orton. And guess what? It was successful. You generated two top stars from that group. The Four Horsemen, I would love to see them back in the WWE now, since they own the rights to the name, and have them under the tutelage of Ric Flair, who's right now in Impact Wrestling, but things are on, you could say, shaky ground right now with Flair and Impact Wrestling. I'd love to see Flair come back in a dream world, have him manage, follow the, the J.J. Dillon role, because J.J. Dillon was such a great manager for the Horsemen, that mouthpiece, that focal point for the Horsemen. And then you have four top guys. You can have one top star. Build around Orton. You can have Orton be a part of the group. And then rebuild and and make future superstars. And that's what the Horsemen helped do. It helped keep Flair as champion, give him the credibility even more so as a world champion, and it brought up three 
great superstars tag team and a mid-card competitor, and it made them all seem legitimate players in this industry. The Four Horsemen will forever be known as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, arguably the greatest stable of all time. Whether you like it or you don't like it, learn to love it because it was the best thing going today, just like the Nature Boy says. A day in the life of the horseman. Well, I tell you, you would think this was embellishment. Telling you it was not. In those days, we were drawing money. We were making money. The company was making money. Jim Crockett had two private planes. We all bought new Mercedes. We bought five at one time at the Mercedes dealership there in Charlotte. Pull our Mercedes up to the uh, private aviation. Get out pull up to the steps of a private 10-seat jet. We'd fly to a Baltimore, Philadelphia, Richmond, Norfolk, wherever it was. Uh, Planted land, there'd be a limousine sitting there. Jump in the limousine, go to the Marriott Hotel, check in, go to the arena, kick some major league ass, jump right back in a limousine, hit the town, whatever it was, whatever the evening called for, and... uh, we live like Bob Hope. I don't know how life could have been any grander. I got a real big house on the big side of town in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you know why I let Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard come over to my house and work out in my gym and swim in my pool and dive off my five-meter board? Huh? You know why? Because they Champions. You gotta be a champion 24 hours a day, not just inside that squared circle. So you can get a little picture here. Arn, you're really living the life, baby. And that's what it was. It was an ideology. Check that watch out, baby. Check that little timepiece. We'd always wear sport coats and not always ties and stuff, but sport coats and, and sunglasses and tried to be uh, very GQ and, and all that kind of stuff. We felt like we earned it. We worked harder than everybody else. We put in more time than everybody else. We were in a position to carry the company. We did carry the company. And... Uh, we reaped the rewards. Flair would get on television, Rolex time this and that, and so I had to go get me a different gold watch with diamond face so I could, you know, try to upstage, and then he'd get a bigger watch, and I'd get a bigger car, and he'd get a bigger car, then I got two cars, then he'd get three cars, and, and <laughs> you know, we were firm subscribers to uh, He Who Dies With The Most Wins. Woo, let, me, let me see that Rolex, Slick Rick. Woo, where's the limousine, Nate? When you are a star, you expect to be treated like a star, and and you can be a little bit... I'll stop there. You see, I can't help it that I'm a star. We talked about being the best. We talked about the gold, the glory, the girls, the money, what lifestyle that you could get. I'm surfing in Hawaii. I'm down at Myrtle Beach laying in the sun. I'm driving around in one of my two Corvettes, or I'm speeding across the intercoastal in my Donzi 29 going, We actually preached, in some fashion, a way to live. It was a doctrine. Of, of sorts. We were taking that private plane and say for a four-day run, we'd be on the West Coast. 
got them. We'd park that private jet in Las Vegas and operate out of Vegas for four days. We'd go to the arena and say Oakland. We'd wrestle. We'd wrestle 30 minutes. Jump on that plane back to Vegas. Drink half the night. Get up it with four hours sleep. Go to the gym. Go lay out in the sun all day. Back on the plane. Back to L.A. Wrestle 30 minutes. Back to Vegas. Here you go again. Gambling all night long. It was just one of those roller coaster rides. If I wasn't 25 years old, it killed me. The thing that made the horseman was that what we talked about on television, we did. We were just back from Las Vegas, you know. We had the big uh, vacation right there. When we went to Virginia Beach and, and went out to the nightclub, I mean, we went rocking and rolling. I mean, it. you knew the horsemen were in town. When we went to Chicago, it was, and we got on television, talked about being at the Snuggery, which I don't think the Snuggery's even there anymore on Division Street, but in the mid-80s, it was there, and when the limousine pulled up, we walked in, we did not pay for a drink. Nothing. Walked out of there. It was the horsemen ruled, and they had a waiting line to get into place, and I mean, it was exciting. The best part of it was is we really were a legitimate team. It was four guys that really loved being together. You're the richest and the best, and you talked about it. And see, that is why the four horsemen thing stuck. Well, fans, thank you so much for joining us on Famous Factions, the greatest stables in professional wrestling. This was a great show. We're going to roll on and cap things off with our mailbag, the btbwrestling at gmail.com mailbag. Victor from Florida writes in to btbwrestling at gmail.com. He says, thank you, Sean, for the great Epic Encounter series. What was your greatest faction of all time? And what do you look at in terms of how a faction should be created? And what do you think makes it successful in professional wrestling? Thank you so much, Victor, for the email. Keep them coming. Um, in terms of my most favorite faction, I think you just heard it. The Four Horsemen I loved. I wanted to be a horseman. And I really knew of the Four Horsemen, I think, during its second run during Barry Windham during the Barry Windham era. That's when I really knew of the horseman and, and grew to love the the suit wearing, the limousine rod and jet flying, that whole persona. They were so cool looking. I wanted to be a horseman. I just, I love how they were the, the epitome of what a stable should be. And what really drew me into liking the horseman is watching a promo on on World Championship Wrestling on Saturday night, 6.05 on TBS, when Ric Flair was, when I saw all of them have championship belts in their hands, it was just so awesome looking. And I said, wow, this was a cool stable. Sure, I was a Hulkamaniac, but Hogan was the, the cheesy good guy. You know, say your prayers, eat your vitamins. Ric Flair was cool. He had the sunglasses. He had the three-piece suits. You know, and talking about Space Mountain and wooing. And it was so impressive to me. I loved it. And I remember pretending to wear suits and wearing my, my polo shirts, my Lacoste shirts, trying to be like Ric Flair and just started wooing and uh, wore those big aviator sunglasses back then in the 80s. It was just, it was so, it was such a great uh, image that they portrayed. And I thought it was so awesome. So I'd say my favorite group was the Four Horsemen. And in a, in a close second is Evolution because they carried on the, Four horseman mentality 
and they all wore suits. They all came out to the ring together, and I loved it. Uh, I loved that it was a modern-day version of the Full Horseman WWE style. Now, when looking at what makes a faction successful in sports entertainment and professional wrestling, it is that unity. I'll uh, look at the Four Horsemen. I hate to beat a dead horse. Uh, no pun intended, or maybe there was. Um, you look at the common goal of the Horsemen, to protect the nature boy, Ric Flair. He was the champion. He was the centerpiece of the organization. Your goal was to make him still reign supreme over anybody in the business, anybody in the company. He was the focal point. He was the money draw for the co- for the group. You you make him be the head. He was the leader. Everyone else was successful around him. And together, they all were great individually, but together they were even better. I think that is the formula of a great group. Also, you have maybe possibly look at Evolution, like I said, two top stars, and you build up two young stars, or even just one top star, and you build up a mid-carter and two up young and up-and-comers. And you build them up, and they get they become better from the group. You didn't see that with the core. You didn't see that really with Nexus. No one was really built built to be, you could say, to that next level. They weren't elevated to that next level after leaving the group. The horsemen, they were made, they were better by being in the group and being associated with the group. So I think that is the true formula for a great stable. Now let's look look ahead to programming. Thank you so much, Victor, for the questions. Keep them coming at btbwrestling at gmail.com. We'll look ahead to the programming, the upcoming programming on Beyond the Bell. The next two weeks, we're going to have some great topics for you fans. We're going to take a look at next week. It's going to be our Epic Encounter series returns with Epic Encounters Volume 4. What to expect in the Epic Encounters Volume 4, you may ask? Well, we said it earlier, Nick Bockwinkle versus Kurt Henning, and in the main event, it will be Mankind versus The Undertaker. What a great and storied rivalry between the two, and I cannot wait to look back on the spectacular feud and replay some of the greatest clips and promo work between these two great superstars. So Bockwinkle, Henning, and then Mankind versus The Undertaker, Epic Encounters Volume 4 next week for you Beyond the Bell fans. And the following week, we're going to have a, a different show lined up for you fans as we're going to look back at the 25 signs you're a 1980s WWF wrestling fan. So that's going to be a fun show as we're going to look back at the 25 reasons why, or 25 signs you're a WWF wrestling fan. So we're going to have some great 80s clips for you, some 80s commercials, some funny 80s moments. So it's going to be 80s WWF themed. The world is watching. So it's going to be fun. We have the 25 signs of your 1980s wrestling fan two weeks from now. Next week, Epic Encounters, Volume 4, Undertaker versus Mankind in the main event. And then as we roll into August, we're going to start off with, or we're going to launch our SummerSlam Spectacular Series, where we're going to look back at the greatest SummerSlam matches of all time. It's going to be split into a two-part series, the early days of SummerSlam, late 80s into the mid to late 90s, and then the second part of the series will look at, be looking into the 2000s and on to the modern-day era of SummerSlam. So as, as we roll into August, we roll into SummerSlam month, the, you could say... 
arguably the second biggest event of the year, very close to the Royal Rumble, and we'll look back at some of the greatest matches in SummerSlam history, and we'll have some great audio clips, great promo work during that era, even during the event, and and preluding to SummerSlam events from the 80s and 90s and 2000s. It's going to be a great series. It'll be a two-parter. The SummerSlam Spectacular coming up in August, so the next three or four weeks will be Really, really exciting here for Beyond the Bell, and we're really trying also to launch our live edition of Beyond the Bell. I think it'll be an added edition, an added audio for your fan, for you fans out there, instead of replacing these archive shows because I think they're so interesting. And you, we've had some great feedback from from you fans on, and you've enjoyed hearing these audio clips. So I don't think I don't, I don't want to replace the archive shows. I want to add to it. So we'll possibly. We'll possibly be working on Beyond the Bell Live. So it won't be Beyond the Bell Podcast. We'll be working on Beyond the Bell Live. So I have to get together with JJ, all caps, sexy. Hopefully get that working because I want to get some interaction with you fans and have live callers call in um, and hear your thoughts and your memories. I get your emails, which are great, but I'd like to hear your live voices on the phone looking back at some of the greatest moments of all time. And we can just have a great time for a, a very, a very unique concept looking back at pro wrestling nostalgia featuring classic moments and old school themes i think it's truly truly an interactive field that we can tap into so i'm looking forward to beyond the bell live hopefully debuting within the upcoming weeks so we have the next three or four weeks set up with epic encounters 1980s wrestling and we look back at SummerSlam spectacular series the greatest matches of SummerSlam so fans thank you so much for joining us here at Beyond the Bell on the SNS radio network also archived on beyondthebell.podbean.com send your questions comments and hate mail to btbwrestling at gmail.com also my website www.ringannouncing.com you can see all my latest videos audio commentary play by play also me announcing uh, some Major superstars, past, present, and possibly in the future in professional wrestling. Also, you can see my schedule uploaded. And you can see where I'm going to be ring announcing in the tri-state area in the United States. As well as, you can take a look at my other podcast that I do during the football season, the Jetpack. New York Jets podcast is another one uh, that I tap into during the NFL season. Hopefully, we're going to have some new episodes lined up during uh, as the hopefully the NFL lockout is resolved in the coming weeks. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Bell. We'll see you next week as we enter Epic Encounters Volume 4, Mankind vs. The Undertaker. We're going to finish off with our old-school theme of the week. And since we had our theme be Stable Mania, Famous Factions, the greatest stables of all time, what a way to end it with a great theme for a great stable, Sung by Motorhead, the theme for evolution. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week as we'll go Beyond the Bell.
Clock makes a fool of history 